0: You're listening to audio from Calvary Gravenhurst in Muskoka, Ontario. For more resources or to connect with someone in the church, please visit calvarygravenhurst.com. This week's sermon is taught by lead pastor Benjamin Emery. Well, I encourage you to pick up your Bibles If you didn't bring one, use the one in the seat in front of you and turn to 2 Samuel chapter 6. And if you don't own a Bible, please take that one as our gift to you. It's page 266 in the church Bible. We like to go through God's word verse by verse so you can see what it says for your own eyes. So you can learn to read it and apply it to your own life. While you turn there, I'm just going to... Pray, God, I feel weak and inadequate to be given this great honor of preaching your word. And so I pray that you would help me, a weak man, to preach your truth. And you would open the hearts of everyone here uh, to absorb that truth. And only you can do that, Lord. Only you can open our hearts. Only you can change us. That's why you're supernatural. So we pray that your presence would be here. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we continue through the series on the life of David, we're switching from 1 Samuel uh, to 2 Samuel. Now, when it was originally written, it was one book, uh, but translators, for ease of finding it and understanding it, made it into two books for us. So we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter. Six Now there's a lot that's happened since last week when March pre- preached chapter 25 out of First Samuel, but for ease of time, I could spend a year on uh, this looking at the life of David, but we have other things we want to get onto, so we're skipping large chunks of it. So I encourage you to read it on your own because we're only spending 15 weeks in the life of David. Uh, But some of the things that have happened since uh, Mark's sermon last week is uh, Saul and Jonathan have died. They've been killed in a battle with the Philistines. And Saul's son took charge of the northern half of Israel. Uh, The southern half made David king, and David reigns for seven years, and the two halves are at war with each other. The nation is split, and there is civil war. Until Saul's son is killed by his own administration, And then they come and approach David and say, we want you to be our king as well, because we see how good of a job you're doing, and the kingdom is reunited as one. So it's been about 10 to 12 years since last week. David has captured the the trophy city of the land uh, from the Jebusites, which we know as Jerusalem, the city of David. That's why it's named after him, because he captured it and built upon it. And it looks like it's going to be a great time, a time a dynasty is starting in, a great time of prosperity, but there's a problem. There's something very important missing from the land. Uh, it's called the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, you can see it up here. It's not just from Raiders of the Lost Ark. It was an actual uh, thing. It was an actual box that they had made. Uh, this is a, obviously what they looked uh, ...reconstructed to look like it. We don't know where the original one is. But it was a large rectangular box. It was covered mostly in gold. And on top of it were two cherubim, which we know as angels. And in between those two cherubim was a place called the mercy seat. And inside the Ark of the Covenant, as the lid would come off, were three things. First was a jar containing manna, which God had provided for the Israelites while they were in the wilderness... The second thing was Aaron's staff, the first priest, Moses' brother. And the third thing were the tablets, or what was left of the tablets, where God wrote the Ten Commandments and gave it to Moses. This was the ark complete, and it represented the presence of God for the nation of Israel. It was a reminder of his covenant with them, but it was more than just a reminder You know, on this ring, on the inside of it is uh, Ruth chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, Uh, a little reminder for my wife and I that where where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge, and your people shall be my people, and your God will be my God. It's a symbol between Rebecca and I. It's a reminder of the covenant we've made, but this was so much more than a reminder, it was a reminder, but it was also where God would preside. It was his presence. Uh, where it was, was a reminder to them and a promise to them that God would reign with them and be their God. You can read more about it in Exodus chapter 25. I'll just read to you one verse. He says, after he gives the instructions how to make it, I will meet you there above the mercy street between the two cherubim. That are over the ark of the testimony, and I will speak with you there about all that I command you regarding the Israelites. See, this was supposed to be an extremely important part of their national identity in their worship with God, the centerpiece of their worship. But the Israelites had lost the ark. Big problem. They'd lost it somewhere between 30 and 40 years before this. It was a humongous deal. You can go back to 1 Samuel chapter 4 if you want at a later time and read about what happened. It was such a big event. The worst thing that had happened in over 100 years to the Israelites that at the time... Uh, one of the women, when they heard that the ark had been lost, uh, named her son after the incident. His name was Ichabod. Ichabod, it says in 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 22, says that the glory has departed from Israel. She said this because the ark of God was captured. Note to prospective parents, don't name your child Ichabod. <laughs> Not going to be on the top list. But the ark remained in the wilderness for... Somewheres of 40 years. All through King Saul's reign. The ark was supposed to be important. But because God really wasn't important to Saul, it really wasn't important to the people. Let me put it into our context. If it would be like if all of a sudden the Holy Spirit was lifted from the church. And we no longer had God's Holy Spirit living inside of us to guide us, to change us. It would be that big of a deal. But David cared. David cared deeply. Because he knew that it was absolutely important that the ark be brought back so that the people could come and worship God together, so that God's presence and his blessing would lead the people. And he wanted it to be placed in the new city, the central city, Jerusalem, that he had captured. And so we read about it in chapter 6. Let's read uh, the first 17 verses. David again assembled all the fit young men of Israel. 30,000, he and all his troops, settled to bring the ark of God from baal Judah. The ark bears the name, the name of the Lord of Armies, who is enthroned between the cherubim. They set the ark of God on a new cart and transported it to Abinadad's house, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ao, sons of Abinadad, had been guiding the cart and brought it to the ark of God from Abinadad's house on the hill. Ahio walked in front of the ark. David and the whole house of Israel were dancing before the Lord with all kinds of fir wood instruments, lyres, harps, tambourines, sistrums, and cymbals. When they came to Nekron's threshing floor... Uzzah reached out to the ark of God and took hold of it because the ox had stumbled. Then the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah, and the Lord God struck him dead on the spot for his irreverence, and he died there next to the ark of God. David was angry because of the Lord's outburst against Uzzah, so he named the place Outburst Against Uzzah as it is today. David feared the Lord that day and said, How can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? So he was not willing to bring the ark of the Lord to the city of David. Instead, he diverted it to the house of Obed-Edom of Gath. The ark of the Lord remained at the house three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his whole family. It was reported to King David, the Lord has blessed Obed-Edom's family and all that belongs to him because of The Ark of God. So David went and had the ark brought up from Obed Edom's house to the city of David with rejoicing. They were those who were carrying the ark of the Lord advanced six steps, and he sacrificed an ark, an ox, and a fattened calf. The Lord was dancing. David was dancing with all his might before the Lord, wearing a linen ephod. So what do we do with this? This Disturbing. If you're not disturbed by this event, there's probably some questions to ask. This seemingly weird, obscure event that takes place. What do we do with this? Well, we could, like some uh, pastors, say, Oh, this didn't really happen. Just ignore this. There's really no relevance to this. But we wouldn't be being faithful to who God is. And so the reason I've chosen to look at this is because I believe there is something very important that we need to see about the character of God. And there's a main point. It's the title of the sermon that some details do matter to God. Some details are very important to God. See, David's desire was good. We're not looking at a man doing something immoral, uh, we're not questioning his intent. God doesn't question his intent. Uh, It's the biggest deal in decades for the Israelites. This is even bigger than when David became king. Let's wrap our minds around the scope of this. There's 30,000 people involved in this parade. It's a big deal. And it's not just like his underlings are doing it. David is there leading the convoy, dancing. Uh, The leaders, the generals, the priests, they're all there. This is a big-time event. Imagine Doug Ford and Justin Trudeau were leading a parade. You're probably not going to see that in our culture. But it seems like in all of the excitement, in all of the pomp, in all of the shindigs, David and the leaders have forgotten something very important. They've gotten carried away. They've done a lot of fancy things, some things that God didn't ask for, but God doesn't have a problem with, but they've forgotten something very important. And and isn't that the way it is sometimes with us? We can get carried away. We can get excited about God, about church, about missions, about evangelism. We can get really excited in our Christian faith, but we can forget some very important things that God has laid out and told us to do. See, they had forgotten the way God told them to treat him. And they're going to see, out of God, a reaction that God has that you don't see that often. They're going to see a side of God come out That they haven't seen in a while. You know, I have an aunt. I have a very small family. uh, And I have one aunt. uh, And she's a very professional lady, very successful business-wise, very stable in her family, uh, a great person to look up to uh, the way she cares for her family. Very calm, very collect, very well-spoken. But one Christmas party, I saw a side of my aunt come out that I'd never seen. Uh, some people were influencing uh, one of her children uh, to, to act in a way that she knew wasn't good. And she came out, this ferocious mother lion came out and the side of her to protect her children came out that I have never seen before. And I was like taken back as she got in the faces of these people who were trying to influence her kids in a very negative way. And that's what we're seeing of God. God... Is getting in the face of David and the Israelites. And he's establishing a precedence, a way that, that uh, a standard that he is not going to allow them to get in the way of. So we read about that, that the parade is going on and, and they get to a place called Necron's Threshing Floor. And this, this guy, Uzzah, uh, who was a son of the man that the ark had been staying at out in the wilderness for a, a long time. He reaches out as it stumbles, and you'd think, oh, so what? He reaches out and steadies the ark. What's the big deal? And then all of a sudden, bam, God kills him dead. And you're like, what is wrong with God? Like, chill out, God. That's what you might say. Like, can't this be overlooked? Like, what is going on? Is this the way you're going to treat me? Every time I mess up, you're just going to bam, kill me? Well, there's something very important we need to know about God. There's a, an old hymn that I heard uh, once that reminded me of the sides of God. It's called, My God, How Wonderful You Are. Verse 1 of this song, this hymn says, My God, how wonderful you are. Your majesty is so bright. How beautiful your mercy seat is in the depths of burning light. Verse 3 then goes on to say, Oh, how I fear you, living God, with deepest tenderness fear. And I worship you with trembling hope and penitent tears. Here the writer of this hymn understands two things about God. One, God is awesome. He is loving. He is great. He's, he's somebody to, to have awe of. Because this great God wants to know us and be in our presence. But he also understands that God is to be feared. He is not like us, and therefore not to be treated like a common person or a common thing. He is far above all people. I'm mediocre at best. God is perfect all the time. He is holy. He is powerful. He is infinite. He is omnipresent. He's everywhere. He is unlike anything and anyone. All things come from him and exist through him. And we are to possess an awe of him, a love for him, and a healthy fear of him. We all know, uh, and some mourn the loss of Queen Elizabeth, right? And I, I, I really respected her as a queen. The monarchy, a lot of the monarchy, is just corrupt and and evil, and, and but. There was something about the way this queen carried herself that she demanded a certain amount of respect, and people respected her, and they looked up there. I don't think we'll ever see another part of the royal family like her, right? There is lots of different royalty throughout Europe, but people stopped paying attention to them about 50 years ago, right? We don't see it in in her son. We don't see it in her grandchildren. There was something about her that, that there was a respect given to her in the way she conducted herself and carried herself. You didn't just go up and slap her on the shoulder, right? You didn't high-five her and say, how's it going, Elizabeth? How much more should we awe and give respect to the perfect, infinite God? She was just a woman. She will stand before God, and she had faith in Christ, and I believe we'll see her in heaven, but she was not the keeper of heaven. God is, and God demands respect. He demands a certain amount of awe and honor from us. And think of it. I want to put it to you ladies. Okay, imagine it's your 20th anniversary. It's 20th wedding anniversary. Okay, and it's a big day, big event. You've put up with your husband for 20 years, and he comes to you with a card, and he gives you a card, dear, and you open up the card, and it says, happy Anne. Like, happy Anne. What is this instead of saying happy anniversary, love of my life? Thank you so much for the 20 years. It says happy, Ann. And you're like, Who's Ann? He's like, Oh, sorry, I didn't have time to finish it. He'd be like, Are you kidding me? I would have rather you not try at all than print one word in three letters of the second word. I would have rather you just not done anything. And, and so, if we wouldn't allow our husbands or our spouses to give us a half effort like that, God doesn't want us to come to him with a half-hearted worship, treating him like he's only worth a certain amount of our time because he is God, he is infinite, he is above all things. And so David, with all his 30,000 people, with his dancing, forgot something very important, and it was this, that the ark was to be treated like God, And no human hand was to touch it. It was sacred. It was holy because God dwelled there. And so it had been made, as we saw the picture, with rings that uh, wooden staffs would fit through, and it was to be carried on the shoulders. You were not supposed to come into contact and touch the actual ark, only to be carried by specific people from the tribe of Levi. Uh, A very uh, certain family called the Kohathites. They were the only ones who were allowed to carry it, and it was to be carried in a very specific way. God didn't say you have to dance. God didn't say you have to have 30,000 people. God didn't say you have to have all the leaders and all the generals, but he did say this very specific thing. But David and the leaders decided to take the expedient route, the quick route, so they wanted to get the party going. They wanted to get God's blessing on the town. They wanted to get on with business. So they said, just get a new cart. Not an old cart, a new cart. Put the ark on there. And we're not going to carry it. We're just going to walk beside it, okay? Should we get some social people? I'll just let the people that, are, that it's staying with, they seem to be doing an all right job with it. Just let them go with it. And you wonder if anyone questioned the leaders along the way. If anyone said, uh, hmm, David, uh, generals, are you sure God's okay with this? Are you sure we should be doing this? Because he seemed to be very specific in the way he desired his ark to be handled. <laughs> Just chill out, man. It's a new card, okay? I'm sure God's all right with it. I'm not trying to You're the king. Uh, But are you sure we shouldn't do what he asked us to do? I know this is faster. I know this is more convenient. But he might care about it. Oh, man. They might have said, You're so 650 years ago. That was the way they did it then. God changes with culture. And today we've got to get on with things and do things fast and expedient. So just be quiet, don't be legalistic. Just go with it. Sometimes in life we can be like that. If we're honest, I can be like that. I can know that God has said, in this way I want you to live like this. But that's time consuming and that takes effort and so I'll do the expedient route. I'm sure God will be all right with it. I'm sure he's cool. I know he said that but he knows the busyness of my life. He knows the challenges that I face. So I'll just skip a few steps. But there are a few things that are very important to God. If you want to sum up all the laws of God and really understand what's important to God, here it is. God wants you to treat Him in a specific way, and He wants you to treat other people in a very specific way. He doesn't really care if you got tattoos. He doesn't care if you wear a three-piece suit. Uh, He doesn't uh, care if you are vegan or you eat only meat. He doesn't care about those things. He doesn't care if you like to to dance while you worship or if you like to sing in a very reverent voice. He cares about how you treat him and he cares about how you treat other human beings. Those are the things that sum up the laws of God. And so David wasn't doing something evil, outright evil. He wasn't doing something in the darkness or maliciously. It wasn't done as a personal insult to God, but yet God took it as a personal insult. And so they're going along, and because uh, they weren't carrying it and four people weren't carrying it, it started to slide. They didn't tie it down on the new card. And so it bumps, and Uzal just reaches up, and bam, He's dead. And unfortunately, the reason why we can see it there, it's not only Uzzah's fault, it's David's fault, it's the leader's fault. God says, I'm angry with you. Why? Because we know the word reverent, irreverence. They've treated him in a way that is hasty, that is without much thought. We only see this word one time in the Old Testament, Believe it or not. And so I spent some time studying. And, and that's exactly what it means. It means to treat God as casual, just another thing. Uh, I don't have time, God. I'm just going to treat you how I deem to be. Irreverence or irreverence. So, what's going on here? God is setting a precedence, a precedence, meaning a standard. The ark's been away for 40 years. Why has it been away for 40 years? Well, you got to go back and read about it. Essentially, it's because the people treated God like a common thing. They treated him like a, like a good luck charm. And they took the ark of the covenant out on the battlefield. A couple of wicked men grabbed it, uh, men that God had said, I don't want these men touching my ark. I don't want them uh, being priests in my kingdom. But they did it anyways, and nobody stopped them. So they took the ark out on the battlefield, and God says, I ain't having it and he allowed them to be defeated, and he allowed the ark to be taken. Then the Philistines treated him with irreverence, and so he allowed them to be beat, and allowed them to, be, uh, uh, to have plagues come down on them. And then so they're like, just get rid of this thing, and they leave it out in nowhere land for years, for decades. And so God says, Okay, I see your intention, David, but the way you're going about it is completely wrong. You're taking the fast route, the expedient route, and I'm not allowing it. Why? Why couldn't God just let it slide? Why can't God just let some of our stuff slide? Because he knows if he lets it slide, all the people are going to say, See, God doesn't care about these things anymore. We can treat him however we want. So we can murder if we want. We can uh, take on... Other people's wives if we want. We can steal if we want. See, God doesn't care about those things. He doesn't care about other things. And that's why it's so important that you understand that God is not a God who changes. The God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are the same God. And God says, I do not change. We can't decide what we want to like about God and what we don't want to like about God Augustine said, if we choose only the things that we like about God or the Bible, then we are not, in fact, following God or the Bible. We are just following a God of our own minds. And that's what, was, that's what can happen with us when we start deciding what it is we want to and not follow. So what can we learn from this story well, there's a few things we can learn that we can practically apply to our lives. First, we can learn the difference between a precept and a principle. A precept and a principle. Well, what is a precept? A precept is a clear rule. It's, a clear, it's some, a clear law that God has established. There's no give or take in it. It's final. It doesn't change. What's a principle? A principle is like a warning or a recommendation, I think you should think about this, and I'd recommend that you you consider this wisely. But it's not law, a precept and a principle. So what's a secular precept? Well, if we can put this sign up, stop sign. Stop sign is something. Stop sign, there we go. The stop sign is a precept. If you get pulled over because you just went through the stop sign, you can't say to the officer, well, I thought that was so 50 years ago. Can can you just let me off? He's going to say, no, a stop means stop. That's the, what it means. But if we go to the next one, we see a secular principle. Caution, right? Caution. You don't have to stop, but you need to think about this. You need to enter with some thoughts. Uh, you're not going to get in trouble if you drive, or you're not going to get in trouble if you stop, but there is some caution. So what's a biblical precept? Well, don't murder. Not don't kill, don't murder. Don't take innocent life. Don't take helpless life. Whether it's a, a senior citizen, don't take their life. Whether it's a little baby, don't take their life. Don't murder. That is final. God's made it clear. Through all of time, it will never change. So what's a biblical principle. Well, here's a principle. Be generous with your money. Be generous and share with those who are in need and and be generous and you'll be a happier person, God says. Uh, You'll get my blessing, God says. Uh, You'll be just full of joy, but you're not going to go to hell if you don't. If you're a greedy person, sure, you're going to miss out on a lot of blessing, but this isn't a salvation issue. But if you want to go around and murder people, God's got a serious problem with that. Precept, principle. See, the problem was is that David and the leaders had decided that this precept, this law, was a principle. We can decide if we want. We know what it says, but we're going to choose to do something else. A new cart, that'll probably be good. But God says it's not good. It's not the way I want you to treat me because I am God. And here within lies the problem for many of us in our personal lives. We treat God's precepts like their principles. We decide that I'll listen to this one, but I won't listen to this one. This one changed a long time ago, and, and so I'm going to actually change this one to the way I want to live it out. And so we see all sorts of problems in our lives and problems in the church because we don't simply do what God has asked us to do. So what are the outcomes for David and the kingdom? Well, we see a few things here. The outcome of ignoring God's details. One, makes God angry. It says, then the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah." And we in Canada don't really like the thought of a God that gets angry. Oh, that's so medieval. Really? God gets angry? Isn't he just happy all the time? Isn't He like Santa Claus up there? Just, oh, I know you're a naughty boy, but I'm just going to overlook that for the 50,000th time. God does get angry. Like, we have to understand that in his character. Uh, We were made in the image of God. We can get angry, but God, that came from God. He gets angry about certain things. And you may say, well, that's the God of the Old Testament. But we see the same thing happen in the New Testament. God sets a precedence. He says in his church, his newly formed church, in, in Acts chapter 5, you can read it for yourselves later, uh, in verses 1 to 11, the church is newly established, and, and there's some generous people, and they're, they're selling what they have, and they're giving it away to the poor because they, they have an excess. So this, these uh, people, Ananias and Sapphira, uh, Sapphira, they decide, you know what, we really want to look good too. So we're going to sell uh, this piece of land. God didn't say they had to sell the piece of land. It was theirs to do with as they pleased, but we're going to sell it, and we're going to come to the church and say, we're giving it all to you. We're giving it all to you because we want to be looked at the same way everyone else that's giving away stuff is going to be looked at. But Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, could see that they were lying to look good, and he said, are you sure? Are you sure you're giving it all away like you say you are? Because you really don't have to. We just want honesty because God doesn't want a church where we all lie to build ourselves up and to make ourselves look good. He warns them and he warns them and then God kills them dead. And it says that throughout the whole church, they were feared with awe and fear of God. And there was a precedent set that we are not a church of people who lie to make ourselves look good. So, we don't want to make God angry. Another thing that happens is some people get hurt. Namely, Uzzah, he gets hurt. Because he treated something that was very holy and very uh, deadly, God, as if it was a common thing. It reminds me of when I was in UAE, United Arab Emirates, and uh, we were just a Day or two away from uh, leaving that country. And one of the soldiers, I won't uh, name him by a name, but he's, there was always poisonous snakes. So, vipers, they would hang out in UAE, they hang out in the rocks. And so, um, and they come out at night. So, you know, you don't go near the rocks um, in the daytime, you're probably pretty good because they like to hang out there in the shade. Uh, but we found one, and he's like, I'm going to catch it. And we're like, I don't think that's a good idea. It is a viper, it is very poisonous. He's like, I can catch it, I can catch it. So he'd probably, it's before YouTube videos, but he obviously watched it somewhere, so he's going to try and grab it, right? It was there, it was, it was perched, and he, and he tried to grab it, but it got him right here. Why? Because he treated a very dangerous snake as if it was a puppy dog. And sometimes we can treat the things of God, we can treat God like a puppy dog and think, there's no consequences. But people do get hurt. When we ignore God's precepts, causes damage to us, causes damage to the people we love, causes damage to our communities and our nations. Number three, you'll end up angry and frustrated. Look at verse eight. David was angry because of the Lord's outburst against Uzzah, and he named the place the outburst against Uzzah as it is today. David feared the Lord that day and said, "How can the ark of the Lord ever come to me?" So he was not willing to bring the ark of the Lord to the city of David. He's angry, he's frustrated. Reminds me of a lot of Christians. Angry and frustrated. Why hasn't God blessed me? Why hasn't God done this in my life? Frustrated, I'm done trying. But often, if we just slow down, humble ourselves, look at the word of God, listen to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We can see we're simply just not doing what he's asked us to do. And we're feeling this negative consequence and we're frustrated and we're angry with God, but really, we should be angry with ourselves. Number three, or number four, well, the party stops for everyone. It's a bummer for everyone because David and the leaders ignored the, the clear details that God had laid out. The whole party stops. Can you imagine that? It's, da, 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 everyone's dancing, 30,000 people dancing and then Uzzah's dead and poof, the music just dies. David's like looking at him. All right, go home. And everyone just disperses. And the ark doesn't come to the city. Can you imagine how bummed the whole nation is? Everyone going back to their tribes. uh, Oh, we we thought God was blessing us, but he just killed Uzzah. And so now we don't get the blessing. Well, then what? (laughs) Another consequence. The blessing is diverted. Where? To a foreigner, to a guy who was a Philistine, look, his name is obed of Gath. Gath is in Philistine. So a foreigner gets the blessing that Israel was supposed to get and so often our blessings are diverted because we simply don't take the time to live our lives the way God has desired us to live and therefore he wants to bless us. So we can see that the decision to ignore clear commands causes a cascade of consequences. And that's often what happens in our lives. So what do they do? Or what does David do? Well, he hears. It says it was reported to King David, the Lord has blessed Obed-Edom's family and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So apparently this guy had a reverence for God. He had an understanding. Okay, kids, you saw what happened with Uzzah, don't touch the ark. That's a no-no, kids, don't touch the ark. And so there seemed to be this reverence. And so because they treated, a foreigner treated, God the way he desired to be treated, he was blessed. And so David's like, okay, guys, guys, I don't know whose fault was it that we didn't do it the way God wanted to, but we're gonna do it the way he wants to this time. And so they get a big parade, they get the proper guys to carry it. They do the proper things that God has asked for. They didn't ask for them to stop uh, every six feet, but they do it. But they're re- treating God with reverence and respect. And therefore, he brings the ark to the city. And what happens? Well, we see in the preceding chapters. In the rest of chapter 6, God comes to live with them in his presence, right? And, and If we simply follow Jesus by faith, faith that his way is the right way, God's Holy Spirit grows stronger and stronger inside of us. And David's nation would become stronger and stronger. It would become the strongest of any of the uh, times in Israel's history. And if you want the Holy Spirit living strong in you, growing you, it isn't a matter of working your way to faith or working your way to salvation. We're not talking about that. But simple obedience by faith, believing that God is true, and his ways are good, the Holy Spirit will grow strong inside of you, as he did in Israel. We see that he builds uh, safety, or sorry, he he establishes the nation in security. If you read chapter 7, you see that, that that God says to David, I see how you want to please me, and I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you tremendously. I'm going to expand your kingdom and I'm going to uh, build for you a a dynasty that if your children follow me like you did, it's going to last forever. And out of you is going to come the Messiah. And if you will simply walk by faith, do the things God is asking you to do, God will establish in your family security. He will establish inside of you hope that will never be extinguished. And then in chapter 8, we see that God subdues their enemies and gives them lasting peace. And we've all got problems. We've all got challenges. But God asks us to follow him, to not try and solve all the problems of our lives, but to simply trust in him, do the things he has asked us to do. And he promises to subdue our enemies. He promises to take care of the things that we can't take. And he promises to give us a lasting peace that the world will never take away. But of course, we know that we can't live a perfect life. We know we will mess up. But what's important to know that is God is not going to strike you dead when you mess up because Christ has two outstretched arms reminding us that he is the one who lived a perfect life and died as a substitutionary, atoning death for our sins, meaning he gave himself... uh, in our place, he earned his way to heaven so that we could be credited, it could be credited to us, his perfect life. So, all we have to do is put our faith in him to the best of our ability, do what he's asking us to do from what we see in his word and what we hear in the Holy Spirit. And God will forgive us when we mess up because he's full of grace. Well, as we prepare for uh, communion, I'm just gonna pray, Lord Jesus. Thank you for the message that you give us. Um, you disar- determined that this would be in your word for a reason, that we are not to take you lightly, that we are not to treat you like a common person. You are God. And we come before you with reverence, wanting to lift you up and submit ourselves to you in our lives. Lord, I pray for any who have not submitted their lives to you. Maybe they're, they're doing things that are Christian-like, but they're not submitted to you. I pray that they would, that they would see that your way is the best way, uh, that you are wonderful and good and holy and caring and loving. Lord, show us in our lives where we need uh, to realign our lives, where we're living out of step with you. and Forgive us when we do mess up, Lord. Be merciful to us, for we are sinners. And we're reminded as we partake in what you've told us uh, to remember. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon audio. For more resources or to connect with us, visit calvarygravenhurst.com.